Welcome to the next episode of Grid Forward Chats, a podcast series with industry leaders on what lies ahead for our electric grid. I'm Bryce Yonker, Executive Director of Grid Forward and host of our podcast series. I'm here in Portland, Oregon, and today we have Jenny Potter, Commissioner Potter, coming to us from Maui, Hawaii. Jenny, thanks for being on. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me. So to open up our conversation, um, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know you're there with the Hawaii uh, Commission and your role as commissioner. Uh, what's in the charter of the Hawaii PUC and what uh, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your role as commissioner? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I joined the PUC in July 2018. And so I've been there almost two years and it's been a whirlwind. Uh, Hawaii has been very progressive and aggressive, if you will, um, on the on the energy um, transition and revolution. And the the goal of that is to get us to 100 percent renewable portfolio standards by 2045. And in doing so, we've opened up a number of dockets that are related to accelerating that path. And currently we have um, several uh, RFPs out in the works that will add over, you know, a thousand megawatts of renewable energy to the grid. Um, in my role in particular, I don't focus on that specific docket, but I am assigned to several wonderful dockets, including um, basically demand side management dockets. So that's really been my sweet spot throughout my entire career. And when I joined the commission, I was able to become assigned commissioner for a number of those, including the DER docket, uh, performance-based regulation, uh, microgrids, uh, CBRE, or community-based renewable energy, um, among a few, uh, also our uh, energy efficiency portfolio. So that's been really where I've been spending most of my time and those, those definitely keep me pretty busy. Yeah, thanks. Well, today is uh, Tuesday, May 5th, and most of us across the country, although this is changing a little bit in some places, uh, remain in a in a shelter-in-place or a stay-at-home sort of order. Uh, we're still there here in Portland, where I am, and Maui, where where you are. So before we get get any further along in our conversation today, just personally, how are you? It's been a it's been a wild few weeks. How are you doing? I actually am enjoying this <laughs> immensely because I typically travel back and forth between Honolulu and Maui every week. So I'm, I'm away from my family. Um, so this has been wonderful to actually be at home full time and working remotely, which is something that I, I did while I was at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab and really appreciated the flexibility and the ability to be home. Um, so, so this has actually been quite a reward. However, the work, um, the work in between our employees and at, at the commission has had to go through some pretty significant changes to adapt to working remotely uh, and including ho hosting large status conferences with the various parties and stakeholders. And so there's been some, some growing pains for sure, but we've, I've been doing well um, from my home here in Maui for sure. Great to hear. And, and Jenny, I know our paths crossed a few years back when you were doing the pioneering work on, on demand side management at the National Lab. Can you tell us just a, a bit about your background that led you into the role there uh, as a commissioner in Hawaii? Sure. Yeah, I think I think that what was so attractive to our legislature and even our governor was my experience with demand side management and the recognition that 
we are going to be increasing the volume of DERs and must incorporate demand, uh, uh, de demand response as well as energy efficiency into our regulatory environment to promote the most holistic balance of energy transactions within our state. Not, not many people have the, the expertise to go into a commission having the policy background and framework as well as the demand side management. So I was able to really offer up kind of a unique position to, um, to, to the, the, the commission here in, in Hawaii by having that more technical background. So I think that that helped a lot. Absolutely. They're lucky to have you. So back on the topic of stay at home and shelter in place and all this sort of economic implications, as well as industry implications that are falling out from this global pandemic. Um, you mentioned that work there at the commission has been changing. Can you talk a little bit about how the commission has been adapting to working on a remote basis? Yeah, sure. I, I think one of the biggest challenges for us was to move all of the paper applications that we received to electronic. Uh, we had to set up uh, and encourage specific email address um, mailing lists so that when people filed uh, their their dockets and their I'm sorry their applications into um, our DMS system that there was notifications going out electronically to email uh, email listserv um, that was a big change from you know doing everything through mail through snail mail and then also having people bring in boxes of paper for those various applications and the same thing goes with our motor carriers who frequently came into the office and you know and, and provided you know payment over the counter. Um, and that now all of that has moved online. Um, a, a third challenge, as I mentioned earlier, was the, the holding status conferences and workshops with different stakeholders that are participating in our various proceedings. So the uh, moving that online through Zoom or through Skype has had its own challenges and kind of definitely some of our own growing pains in that, um, but certainly is beginning to, to take hold and, and become a, a practice that we may want to continue in the future because it does allow for participation from the mainland and without requiring that the, those consultants come over and fly over for an in-person meeting. So this is, there's been some real advantages to doing that. I think the, the, the staff getting used to working remotely um, has been a little bit of a challenge primarily because we had to exit so quickly. We shut down the offices so quickly that people weren't prepared to bring all of their gear, if you will, with them um, so that they could work remotely successfully. So there's been some challenges of letting them back into the office and trying to allow for um, them to collect you know, the different uh, items that they need in order to work remotely. Can you tell us a little bit about the priorities there at the commission? You know, what what's active? What are you focusing on? What is the commission kind of prioritizing right now? Absolutely. I think one of our biggest um, objectives at this point and, and goals for um, dealing with the COVID-19 has been around economic recovery. Uh, Hawaii has been hit especially hard because it is a tourist state um, and the majority of our revenues come from tourism. And the minute that you shut down that flow of people coming to visit the islands, they, they, all the money drives up. So it's uh, it's been pretty devastating to uh, the population who lives here uh, that, that lost their jobs. And it's about 30% at this point. 
Um, so people are actually really struggling to make ends meet. It's very expensive to live here. Um, and so challenges with uh, paying your rent or paying your electricity bill are real. Uh, so the, the commission, in order to try and keep some of the businesses afloat as well, um, and encourage capital to come into the state has really taken on the mantra of, you know, of capital growth and, and capital investment. And so that economic recovery aspect of our initiative, uh, you know, we've been trying to push that through CBRE, through our community-based renewable program, also through the DER program, uh, so that we can encourage money to keep flowing into the state and making investments in clean energy here uh, throughout throughout the state on each of the islands. So that's been a, a real big driver for us. And a lot of the decisions we've issued, that's a big underlying tone in, in to, to them. So, Yeah, so I know there were developments on the modernization front this last year. Do, do those activities continue in a time like now? And do those capital expenditures align towards the sort of economic recovery that you guys are trying to focus towards? Can you help me maybe try to connect the dots there? Sure, absolutely. So, th so they do. Right now, um, what what we have in place is the phase one from the grid modernization um, docket, and that's the rollout of the um, advanced um, meter, uh, advanced uh, the MDMS, sorry, meter data management system, um, and that as well as the AMI meters themselves. And so, forthcoming will be more the distribution system automation with the sensors. Uh, and we, we expect an application from the utility with sh very short order. I think the, uh, the AMI meters in particular can be uh, coupled with the rollout of additional solar photovoltaics on rooftops. Um, so the, the need to have a, a smart meter in there as well as a secondary meter uh, will help encourage that transition. Um, because that's that's sort of how they're deploying them. It's really kind of an opt-in. And if you do get new types of technology of distributed resources, then they are going to change out your meters. So one in the same, we want to ensure that, that, you know, these DERs have a fast track for interconnection and that they have the right technology to be successful. And that's part of the grid mod strategy is providing some of that transparency to grid operators here throughout the state. Do you know if the timeline of the phase two application would be impacted at all based on what's all happening out there, or has that not been clarified really? I think it will be um, just just because of the fact that everyone's really, they're working from home at the utility. Uh, they have other priorities at this point if they're going to accelerate, like we just issued the order on community-based renewable energy. Um, so that will likely take up some of the the bandwidth. Of, for the team. So, I, I, you know, as we've prioritized really economic recovery, um, it's been more around renewables. And since we're putting some pretty strict deadlines on, on that kind of effort, I do think it's going to slow down some of the grid mod progress. Yeah, understood. So can we talk a little bit about the performance-based regulation component to a lot of the regulatory work that you guys are doing there? Can you give us an update on where that's at and if that's being impacted at all? Sure. Yeah. So that's that's actually been one of the the programs that we or the the proceedings that we've been able to host these large status conferences um, and and working group meetings. So that and we've been able to uh, continue our work and not we don't see any sort of uh, delay in issuing an order. We anticipate that order coming out in December of 2020. Um, and that's sort of a hell or high water kind of deadline. We're gonna, we're definitely going to to make that work. We have uh, the the first set of updated uh, proposals due on May 13th, 
and that will be a really comprehensive uh, set of proposals by each of the parties. And that there's, as I, I've mentioned before, we have about 10 parties that are participating in this proceeding, um, and they will all submit their own version of a proposal. Now they've been working closely with one another, so um, that's part of the the benefit of this, the way that we've uh, deployed this proceeding and encouraged. Uh, the working groups to come about. We had a lot of collaboration from them. We've had a um, moderator from Rocky Mountain Institute that's been uh, helping, you know, orchestrate and and keep us all organized uh, throughout the proceeding, including the working group meetings. But the uh, the this proposal that's going to be submitted on May 13th is is going to be officially in the record. And so after that, you know, we start the whole briefs and the statement of positions and the different. Um, um, uh, IRs with information requests. And so we're really getting into the meat of it now where we're establishing, you know, a, a healthy foundation for us to make that decision by December, 2020. Well, congratulations on being able to progress such a dynamic uh, undertaking in these, this, this uh, dynamic environment. I, I know that the outcomes of a performance-based regulation regime where you really try to align risk and reward seem like they couldn't be more important in a, in a time like now. So yeah. uh, I know the industry looks forward to, to seeing how you guys are, are able to progress that. And, and we sure are certainly hopeful that you guys are able to, to keep that great work going this year. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. We're excited about getting getting to the finish line, and I imagine it won't be the the complete finish line. But there'll be still be more work to do, but it's going to be um, a, a success without a doubt because of the process that we've been going through. You know, you've already alluded to the sort of impacts that Hawaii is seeing with major disruption to tourism industry, which kind of undergirds the economic. Uh, uh, marketplace there. You know, I think across the country, we're seeing unprecedented amounts of residential customers who are having issues paying their bills. And maybe that's somewhat exacerbated there in Hawaii. Um, and then across the country, you're seeing major unprecedented uh, lowering of demand by you know, commercial and industrial customers as basically the you know, economy was asked to come to a halt. Uh, at least those two factors, if not a, a host of others that are going to prolong through our recovery and all of this, uh, can, can you give us a picture as to the sort of uh, magnitude um, and impacts that you're going to be seeing on not only the, the electric grid, but your role there as a regulator, the sort of topics and issues and, and things that you know, are, we're going to be have to, having to wrestle with? Absolutely. I think this is, uh, you know, at the top of everyone's mind of how we're going to get through this economic crisis, because this isn't something that's going to be isolated to, you know, an end date of Jan June 30th or even anything for the foreseeable future. And it, especially in Hawaii, I think that that's that's this is going to drag on much longer, primarily because our main industry is tourism. And will people be willing to fly? I don't know. So that means a lot of people and businesses are out of work. Um, you're not going to see hotels and restaurants open anytime soon unless they have the volume of consumers coming in uh, to, to help contribute to our economy. So as a, as a result, 
you you do you have we have really depressed sales at this point dramatic load reductions uh, across all the utilities on each of the islands um, the most significant actually here in Maui uh, the 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 peak demand and the daytime low uh, is is just so mind-boggling <laughs> that it's you're looking at how how the act the utility can stay viable um, through these kinds of dramatic uh, changes to their operating um, and how they're they're thinking about moving forward. So we have issued an order yesterday uh, for all of the utilities to start um, uh, documenting their their losses and their additional costs that they're incurring because of COVID. Um, and we're going to move those into regular regulatory assets. Um, those regulatory assets are basically deferred accounting for uh, some of these these costs and. And, uh, and for losses with bad debt. Um, so in doing that, what we've tried to do is, is tell the utilities and the market that we recognize these losses will, will happen, the bad debt will occur, and that we're preparing mechanisms to help ease some of the pain and the stress on the utilities to hopefully, uh, you know, to the market, at least signal to the market that, that we're gonna do what we need to do in order to keep them healthy and viable. And that's, you know, some of the, the strategies that the utilities have implemented are similar to what's happened around the country where they suspended disconnects and they're no longer charging interest for late payments. And, um, and this is with the expectation that people just aren't going to be able to pay. And um, in, in doing that, you know, that's, that's where you start incurring bad debt. And that it is critical that we, we get ahead of that so that we're not trying to do this sort of retroactive um, look back on what, you know, on, on what and how the utilities have been impacted by, by uh, the COVID-19. Well, uh, you know, our, everybody's in this together, uh, but, but we can only imagine the sort of impact uh, there on the island uh, from the tourism economy being just so dramatically impacted. So, so certainly our, our thoughts and hopes go out to you guys. You know, Hawaii, before you were there, um, and, and while both of us were still in the industry, uh, was, was really the first state that I know of uh, to commit to 100% renewable requirement. Um, how is that progressing? Is that going well? Are you guys tracking where you were hoping to? What are you learning as you as you trek forward to this 100% renewable energy powered uh, economy there? That's that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. The the utilities have been doing great uh, on KIUC, which is on Kauai. Um, they've reached, I believe, 47% renewable energy, and they have uh, they've had handfuls and handfuls of days, like, like almost a hundred, I believe that where they've actually had many hours, multiple hours that have been at 100% renewable. So they've been able to, you know, provide energy 100% to their customers. And is that primarily wind and solar or what it's, else is in the mix It's just there? solar, uh, primarily. They have, a bio, uh, they have a biomass facility as well that counts and then also, I believe, a small hydro plant. Um, but, they, but it's heavily based in solar and batteries. So I don't know if they have any wind at all on that island. I don't believe so. So the rest of the islands, um, you know, Maui's always been doing pretty good and, and uh, Hawaiian uh, electric light on Big Island, they've also been doing very good. Oahu's the one that's really challenged. That's where they have the population center. So the highest load and uh, they and definitely the least amount of land. Um, but the other islands are able to pull up their averages a little bit. And, and uh, so they've been at 30 percent 
for this year. And they're, they're estimating that because of the load reduction that they're experiencing from COVID, they'll be able to get up to 38% by the end of the year. So that's, that's, they're tracking right on par with the load reduction. They're going to be well ahead of the goal. Um, but it's not something we probably likely see a spike and then it decrease again um, when load returns to normal after this is all over. So, yeah, I know there were a lot of dynamics around changes to net metering and interconnection queues when there was such an onslaught of distributed resources coming into the system. Now, that seems like it's uh, kind of right sized or kind of corrected in some way, shape or form. Can you talk a little bit bit about kind of the distributed set of renewables that are uh, a part of the system there versus the more central ones? Because I know both are very significant for getting to that 100% requirement. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we have have 20% of the homes, the single family homes in, in Hawaii that are on that have distributed photovoltaics. So that's that's not insignificant. That's a a really high number. Um, There is more uh, energy coming from it's about 852 megawatts uh, from the uh, from the 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 uh, from the photovoltaics um, just the rooftop photovoltaics. Uh, the process now for getting additional units installed is a little bit cumbersome, so we're working through that within the DER docket to try and address some of those interconnection bottlenecks um, because we have a lot of systems in the queue, and they are a significant portion of our renewable portfolio standard. Um, so our RPS is, when you looked at it from the previous year, we actually had our more central plants, our utility size um, scale um, renewable energy projects, they decreased the amount of energy output decreased for them. And if it weren't for the distributed photovoltaics and the increase of them over the last year, then we would not have seen an increase at all in that portfolio standard percentage. So they they are a significant contributor to the success of, of getting to 100% renewable. And, you know, we may be in the position where on Oahu, we have to do 100% of the homes have, have photovoltaics on them. Um, in order to get to our goal, because there's just, you know, if, if we can continue with customer adoption and, and, you know, more tax credits, then that's probably a real situation that we could look at and, and potentially um, see that kind of growth within that sector. Well, can I ask you a question that I'm sure almost feels like a softball to you, but to others in the community, you know, whenever you see these 100% renewable requirements, you start thinking about the generation stack. Um, But to effectively get there, you you really need to holistically address the demand side. So how does that play into the equation there in Hawaii? Definitely. That's one of the the main messages that I've been trying to send to the utility um, during my tenure here is that this is, you know, this is absolutely critical. And in the distributed energy resources running the gamut and how how they're able to be controlled and the, you know, the 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 way that we have programs uh, set up to dispatch and and utilize that resource is actually critical. So part of the performance-based regulation proceeding, we have a a performance incentive mechanism that's around the DER asset effectiveness, which is really going to be focusing the the companies, our utilities, on utilizing the resources in the field more effectively. So not just installing it and then set it and forget it kind of situation, but really tapping into batteries and different types of 
of demand response and energy efficiency to help deliver the types of services that are necessary for stabilizing the grid and delivering energy when and where it's needed. Um, and so that that's actually exciting that we've incorporated that into to the uh, to the performance based regulation docket. So how does maybe associated to demand side programs, associated to technology, or really any component of the system as you see it happening out there, how does innovation play into this? Maybe in a time like now or or otherwise, is this a time where we need to really be thinking outside the box and trying to change status quo or rethink the way that we're doing things? Absolutely. That that's That's so imperative at this juncture. I think that when we look at, uh, you know, just the, the erosion of the business model for our utilities with distributed generation and the large scale uh, solar and, and battery storage that's going in all over the country, you think about how that's eroding, you know, the, the business model as it, the traditional business model for utilities by you, now you are dealing with independent power producers and you have a number of assets that are all in your distribution system that are, you know, playing and wreaking havoc if, unless you have some controls there. But that's more of like a platform service provider, right? Or, in, or dealing with some type of recovery or return on investment for those IPPs and for the, the purchase power agreements that um, go along with those IPPs. I think that looking at how we can adapt that business model so that we're encouraging the utilities to think flexibly, to think with, with innovation and, uh, and to pursue activities that are not necessarily in their nature because that business model has shifted. So during our performance-based regulation proceeding, we were, uh, we were looking at different types of mechanisms through that, that framework. And ultimately, when I asked myself, I said, is this an innovative enough? Are, are we changing the name of the game enough that, you know, that, that this is what I think will be successful for us moving forward? And I really didn't see that. So what we did do is we created, a, you know, what we're calling a new business model innovation fund for the utility that uh, hasn't been well defined yet. You know, our working groups are working on fleshing that out. But the the idea is how can we find new streams or encourage the utility to go after new types of revenue streams that uh, don't necessarily exist today and maybe not in any jurisdiction, but give them incentive to pursue these until they become, become commercially viable. And an example of this would be um, the streetlight or the poles that the, for the streetlight poles or the telecommunication poles um, the that were typically owned by either the city or they were owned by, you know, the telecom company. And so the, the our utility purchased all of those poles recently um, to help with some of the liquidity uh, for the, the, the telecom industry. And they are leasing back space on those poles for uh, different entities to provide, you know, so that they can provide their services, whether it's um, cell networks, 5G, it's, uh, you know, for the, the telecom actual wires, whether it's streetlights to the county and to the city. So they're now responsible for managing that fleet, but they also are getting revenues from doing so. And so those types of strategies are what we're looking for from the utility and, and that kind of innovation. Um, and so we'll see, it may fall outside the realm of, you know, a pure energy Energy, but it, you know, definitely the utilities need to be thinking more holistically about how to stay viable in this new environment. 
Well, I know lots of parts of the country and really the globe are, are looking to Hawaii as you guys are kind of a view of the future for what's going to happen on the electric grid. So, so thank you for not only those uh, demonstrations of the deployments, but the kind of the structural changes that you guys are, are looking into. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so broad swaths of our society are being majorly impacted in the fallout from battling this global pandemic. And while the electric grid has been amazingly reliable during these times, changes and various pressures really are building. Um, so I wanted to, Jenny, see if we could take a chance to do a rapid fire reaction. So I'm going to say a, a term and, and I'm really just looking for your immediate response. Okay. Uh, it can be associated specifically into Hawaii or or something more broadly to the electric grid space. So um, I've got a number of them and we'll just kind of rapid fire right through these. Um, so are you ready? ready? All right. So renewable energy commitments. Going to be maintained through the after the COVID virus. Electric vehicles and EV integration. I think this will be a little bit slowed down um, because of the virus. I think this is what might take a little bit of a backseat um, in terms of other priorities that the utilities will be dealing with. Trade-offs between reliability and cost. <laughs> uh, I think... Uh, that's a delicate balance for sure. And we have to be careful with how, how we want, how firm we want the grid to be versus how much we want to spend in basically rate base for our customers. It's, it's, a, it's a tough balance. The importance of system flexibility. Critical, absolutely critical to the, for the grid of the future. Planning and forecasting going to morph into really this integrated grid planning. I think we're going to see less our, our IRPs and more um, integration with the distri distributed generation. I'm sorry, distribution system planning. So I think that we're going to actually see a lot of integration between um, those two processes so that we can have a more holistic look of, of what's happening on our grid. Customer engagement needs to improve in order to bring people along for the clean energy revolution. Grid infrastructure investments. Absolutely critical to getting us to 100% renewable. Any Anyone that has that ambition across the country um, is going to have to see a, a pretty heavy investment in grid infrastructure. Jobs. Going to struggle for the foreseeable future, I think for at least a year or two, and then eventually we'll pick back up. I think what one thing that we can hold on to is renewable energy. Uh, jobs are going to continue to be strong. I don't see those dropping off as dramatically as some of the other uh, other sectors. Jenny, well, what a great conversation we've had. I, I just wanted to ask you one final question as we wrap up. So you're about as positive of a person as I know, um, but maybe I can uh, entertain your two-part question here as we wrap up. So there is a lot going on out there to, to be concerned about. Uh, you know, it's a bit humbling to kind of see the implications of, of this health crisis unfold in so many different arenas. But if maybe one comes to mind, I'd love to know What's con what concerns you as you look to the short term ahead? And on the flip side of that, we can end, uh, you know, as you look to all the dynamics that are playing out uh, with, with the recovery that we're hoping to have here soon, 
you know, what are you holding out optimism for? What excites you? So on both sides of that coin for our last question. Sure, sure. I think the biggest concern for me, um, you know, coming out of the COVID um, epidemic is the uh, the impact on our economy. Um, and, and that's really disconcerting for our citizens and the, our residents with throughout all of the country. I think uh, this is this is horribly severe for people to pay their mortgages, to pay their electric bills, to maintain basic services. You've seen the, the lines for the food bank. So this is just um, devastating to see this unfold. And I hope that we can recover as quickly as possible. Um, in terms of where, where I'm optimistic, I, I am really excited about the future of microgrids. I think that we have a tremendous potential to provide a lot, a much greater resiliency and improved reliability by by moving forward with microgrids and, and encouraging the installation of larger set microgrids that serve a broader community, not just a campus per se. So we're working hard on getting the right framework in place so that we can do that kind of work in Hawaii. And I've had the benefit of working with several other states that are very excited about this as well. So you know, I'd love to in the next five years see just a proliferation of microgrids go into into uh, service, and so I'm really optimistic about that. Jenny, thanks for your time today. Hawaii is very fortunate to have you there. Uh, we really appreciate your insights. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be with you, and thank you for the kind words. Thanks for listening to today's session of Grid Forward Chats, our podcast series with industry leaders on what's driving grid modernization and innovation ahead. Do you have an idea for one of our podcasts? Send me an email, bryce at gridforward.org. You can also check out our website, gridforward.org, for more information about our podcasts, the virtual events we have, becoming a member, and more of our mission to promote grid innovation and accelerate modernization across the region. 